Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny where we slide down the slippery slope that is the hospitality industry. This week we have Charles Jolie, one of the city's most celebrated bartenders who has kind of done it all. His resume is extremely impressive. From yeah. uh, bar backing, he ran programs at Aviary and The Office. He opened The Drawing Room, one of the city's most influential craft cocktail bars alongside The Violet Hour. His bar skills have like literally taken him around the world. I think he's been to like 40 some countries. Yeah. And now he has a line of ready to drink craft cocktails called craft house. And, uh, he's still going, just hustling, working all the time. Without further ado, here's Charles Jolie. Staying in the loop, staying in the loop, staying in the loop, staying in the loop. Yeah. Staying in the loop, staying in the loop, staying in the loop. Yeah. Gotta stay up in the loop. Yeah, I was born. I was born on the South Side, uh, Mercy Hospital, and in, uh, in the near South Side. So um, I, I'm, we moved around a bunch, but I did spend a bunch of time in Bridgeport, and uh, and you know went to went to high school in 35th and Wabash. Um, so real, you know, worked at Comiskey Park when I was in high school. So I oh, guess nice. a, a true a true South Sider. What'd uh, you do at Comiskey Park? I was an usher. Uh, nice. I I mean, so like. Uh, you know, our high school was was right at in between State and Wabash on on 35th Street, which was um, a neighborhood uh, back then. Uh, it was yeah. uh, it was um, you know a, a tough a tough neighborhood, and that Comiskey Park was right you know two blocks from there. And they would come and you know to get cheap labor to a, they would come to the high school at uh, at lunch and the interview people be like hey you want to make four dollars and 50 cents an hour kid come on <laughs> we're like oh money cool you know so i actually lied about my age on there so i was 16 a couple of years in a row they didn't check which is crazy it's like not a not a you know maybe it's a real company it's not like you know it's like doing side side work at somebody's house so uh, but anyways i was an usher uh you know, got a really uh, a handsome red vest I got to wear. <laughs> you still have it or what? I do not have my Andy Frayne uniform. But the cool part about it was they also did the ushering at, like, Rosemont Horizon and other concert venues. So you get to pick which shows you wanted to work. And oh, so you nice. get to, like, basically go to whatever concert you wanted to see as well and just stand there and be, like, a snot-nosed kid. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pointy, but you don't know where anything is. It's the first time I've worked this venue. Like, I don't <laughs> you ask somebody a question. I mean, you, we all run into that. You ask somebody a question, you're just like, I, I have no... no. <laughs> <laughs> or if you if you were a bartender, you pretend to know the answer. Right. You just, <laughs> just, just put a bar spoon of Fernet into it. And like, this is the cocktail you wanted, right? <laughs> yeah. What was the rowdiest crowd of those venues? Oh, man. A Scorpions concert uh, was, was, was pretty good. I mean, that was... That was you know, 1993 or something. So, uh, but, uh, I mean, a Sox game could be as tough as a heavy metal concert. You yeah. kidding me? Like, depending, especially yeah. back in the day, uh, the Sox fans, that's not a, you know, they're out there to watch the game. That's you know, Wrigleyville, Wrigleyville. It's right. It's like Chicago's biggest bar. We say like, more so now than ever. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I went to a Sox game a couple of weeks ago, and there were street vendors selling little bottles of liquor. Oh, amazing. That's the first time I'd seen that. I have not seen that. I have not seen In that. the stadium? But no, like the whole the walk-in. Yeah, yeah, I took the... smart. Yeah, I took the train down. Wow, yeah, they're not like and, checking pockets or No, anything? there's cops and security there and stuff, yeah. and they're... He's got to like do the, like, the rally in the... It, it's like a... <laughs> yeah. You know, the parking lot party beforehand i guess yeah huh right 
I don't know. But uh, Bridgeport's changed a lot. It has for the good. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it's uh, there wasn't a lot of um, there wasn't nothing for, for a kid back then. So the second I, I became, you know, was old enough to leave, I did. You know, where'd I, you I, go? Uh, I, I went to college, uh, you know, as I tried that route, which uh, was not for me. But I went north. I went, you know, I came to the north side immediately, um, and uh, you know, I had my first apartment, which was at that time in in Roscoe Village, and Roscoe Village was had not gentrified yet um, at all. And it was still, um, it was wild back then. Like hmm. it was, it was just starting, and and people, you know, I mean, we were we were kids. Our apartment was for a two bedroom apartment, and this is not because I'm old. It was just how shitty the apartment was. It was four hundred dollars total for a two bedroom apartment in Roscoe Village. Whoa. Um, what cross streets were you at? Uh, off of Melrose and uh, uh, Damon. And okay. uh, so great location. But yeah. I mean, this was, so we were fine. Like we were like, you know, at that point, I think I must've been a bike messenger at that point or, or doing so. I wasn't 21 yet. Um, and, uh, you know, the people who had lived in, in Roscoe village were not happy about the gentrifiers. They were like spray painting stuff on sheets and hanging them out their windows to try hmm. and like, chase people off be like white trash lives here yuppies go home and stuff like on full-size sheets hanging out front the front of people's windows oh, wow. um it was like just like being like fuck you this is our neighborhood like don't come of course like you can't you know can't stop it can't stop it they tried um but anyways yeah that's you know so so where were you working at the time you... uh i mean again i wasn't of age yet so i didn't even oh, hit right. the bars yet i i did all kinds of wild jobs um you know, I played music in my early twenties too. Um, What'd you play through all the way, like all the way up through, like all the way through my twenties? Um, I played played in some like uh, wonderfully, delightfully shitty uh, pop punk bands. Like what instrument? Uh, um, oh, I played guitar, and then like I, would, I mean, singing is a real stretch. Uh, but I did some backing vocals as well, uh, basically just like screamed into the microphone. Uh, <laughs> not do not have a do not have a, a singer's voice oh, uh, we're gonna dig up some tunes from the archives oh and my maybe God. feature those on here so that would be amazing <laughs> yeah. uh we were dumb kids uh <laughs> we had a lot of fun with it though but yeah i did everything i mean i, I mean it was just like that that the kind of blue collar hustle you know as many jobs as you can find like, yeah was, what kind of was, venues were around at that time it was like double door well yeah so that was you know we we did play double door we played metro um and we worked our asses off to play both of those venues you have to like prove yourself at smaller venues we played fireside bowl um, oh, yeah. which was like iconic for us because we you know as what a loss to the music scene that place was um because it was an all-ages venue and so you can go there when you were younger mm -hmm. and we would come up to the north side and go to go to shows at fireside and and then you know, Logan Square looked a little bit differently then too. Yeah. yeah. Um, Did you ever play Logan Auditorium? We never played Logan Auditorium. Um, I'm not, I, I've never even been to a show there, actually. I saw Devendra Banhart there in college. And I remember being like, I did live, I went to Lake Forest College up north. And I remember coming to the neighborhood, I'm like, where am I? And now <laughs> it's like one, yep. one of the best corners in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've, and I've, I've been in that neighborhood now for about 15 years. Um, I think I've moved in there when you when you all prospected yeah the, the corner of Armitage and Kedzie right like, yeah I mean that was that was very early on 
when did when did yeah that? we opened in 2012 we okay. bought Streetside 2011 okay yeah all right so i was in logan just a, just a couple of years before that but after I, I got priced out of wicker park i was like all right well i can't afford to live here so yeah i'm like I mean, this looks like a nice like family neighborhood where yeah. like i can get to know my neighbors and you know five years later i was walking my dog and i heard like all this screaming i was like what's going on and i looked over my shoulder and it was a goddamn trolley party bus and i was like oh no <laughs> they're spreading <laughs> they've come west they found us they found us <laughs> way, i was like i was like truly i was like there goes the neighborhood yeah the trolley party party bus. that's the Jesus sign to <laughs> jump the shark so you know, in you know, right around when you were turning coming of age, you were working a bunch of random odd jobs, hustling. Yeah. Um, at what point did you start working in bars? How did that come about? Uh, so really accidentally. Um, I I was uh, I went off to college. I came. I think I was. I think I was home from college for a summer. Maybe I just got thrown out of college. I don't know exactly when it happened, but we went to uh the original crowbar which was uh down on kingsbury street directly across from what is now the very large whole foods uh still next to uh a gentleman's club uh that is, <laughs> has remained such for many years vips one of our it sponsors. was vips yeah, is it? yeah perfect <laughs> uh i believe it's rick's cabaret now so we're gonna have to update update the website uh, but uh like that street was wild it was uh, um like a really like kind of underground club scene. It was the end of the rave era back then. Um, at that time, like it was just, it was wonderfully seedy down on that street. There were a few nightclubs. There was like the strip club. Um, there was not a whole foods, uh, <laughs> you know, there was a good 50, 50 shot that like your car was getting broken into when you parked. It was, it was wonderful. So anyways, I was at crowbar and this is like, you know, and for the, you know, for the, for the younger folks, like this is I think in nightclubs back then, like bottle service didn't exist. Yeah. People went to, to dance. People went to worship the DJs. Um, you know, I, I often talk about that door being run like studio 54 style. Like you had all of these alternative and like wonderful, you know, rave freaks ran the door, you know, wearing 18 inch stacked shoes and like full regalia. Um, so it was like, you could not bro out and get in. Um, you were going to get wait for a very long time to get in there. So anyways, I was in there partying and I ran into a buddy from high school. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was probably like two o'clock in the morning. And, uh, I'm like, Hey Cliff, like what's going on, man? I'm like, this looks like a fun job. Like, yeah. <laughs> you need any help? <laughs> and I went, he took me in the bar back room, which was a walk-in cooler where they all hung, hung out and hid and like, you know, literally had cases of beer stacked up, turned into a bed. So guys were, you know, sleeping, uh, on, stacked on cases of beer inside of a cooler. Mind you, it's oh, fucking crazy. Oh that's where they went and hid. So it was the oasis for, you know, and there's like these, these, you know, dudes running in and out of there and just the energy and everything else. I scribbled out an application, um, was definitely like well into my evening at that point and uh yeah I got, got hired and i was a bus boy for one day uh and then they're like okay like you like you understand busing i'm like yes i can put glasses into the bus tub <laughs> off the dance boxes um uh, and uh became a bar back and uh and ended up bar backing there and it was like i would not trade it for the world everything that i learned there like it was it was wild i mean yeah how to be quick i mean how to deal with people i'm sure totally like move fast be organized prep 
like ahead of time. It was all about preparation. Like you had, we got, we were the first ones in, it's the last one to leave. Um, you know, you'd see a couple thousand people through the doors of that place on a, on a busy night. Yeah. Um, so just mountains of glassware, mountains of ice, mountains of, you know, to get garnish. Um, and it was awesome and it was so much fun. And we, and we, and, and bar backing's cool, especially in a place like that, because you have, um, some anonymity, like you just can, uh, you can you're not stuck behind the bar yeah so you can free. disappear if you get your shit done like take a nap in the walk-in cooler on the beer bed yeah you would i mean sometimes you would take a nap i mean more like you know we would like synchronize watches and be like all right everybody meet on the dance floor at midnight and like we're all gonna fucking you know eat a pill and <laughs> and party at the same time you know the place was open till 5 a.m so you had plenty of time for it to kick in and still get back to your bar dance for a little bit like to restack the bar and then get to work you know it's incredible it was it was a time for sure How? In, into the fucking fire straight into the fire yeah. there was no fire any there. gnarly stories out of there oh my god like it, like it just and it, it was such a cool time um you know it, it, it was like uh the, the djs were amazing like the music was amazing if you're into like chicago house um and i'm i mean all, all sorts of music it was funny like i mean um even at the time, you know, I'd be hanging. Like we were all kind of punk rock kids who also liked to go fucking dance to house music. So it was just like we we had a little bit of everything. Um, it came up, but I mean, it, it, the the parties were just so wild uh, in, in there. Um, you know, the Psycho Bitch and Terry Bristol were the residents there. Um, you'd have crews come through, like you know Carl Cox and and other other like mega DJs. Um, but it was. Yeah, I mean, it was wild. I mean, there's, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's 20 years later now, so I can't incriminate anything <laughs> yeah. too, too much on there. But I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I worked with, surprisingly. Uh, I would say one of my favorite memories is we oh, we took a, a work, uh, a, a group trip to Great America, um, you know, a big amusement park with a bus full of like 40 rave kids, oh. like essentially. <laughs> Um, and it was, it was nuts. The, the supplies on that bus were, uh, were impressive. Uh, and I mean, I think we, everyone was real confused. We had a lot of security followers around the entire day. Uh, there was <laughs> just piles of club kids like on top of one another by the end of the day at various parts of the parts of the club or parts of the club parts of great america uh the biggest outdoor club there is it was we did we did turn it into uh an enhanced amusement park uh but it was we've got there's photos from that day it's pretty awesome (laughs) so how long uh were you at crowbar uh i was there for a good amount of time i bar backed for like three or four years before I, i ever touched a bottle uh and at that time it was just it was hard to get a bartending job at a at a place that was that high volume super lucrative to be a, a bartender and it was really lucrative to be a, a bar back too i mean it was a great i i took i mean you know when i would start managing eventually in my career i took a step back financially i made more as a bar back at crowbar than i did as a man wow. my first management what job. was like a good night bar backing uh money wise at crowbar i mean Anywhere from 350, 650 on good nights. Like wow. there, were, there were some nights. There were, <laughs> that's, that's insane. Yeah, so everybody yeah. taking an 800 in Wrigleyville. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You could make, yeah. I mean, I mean you could, 650 bar bagging 20 years ago. Is yeah. It was, it was a lot of money, a lot of cash. And it was all cash and cash in hand that night, you know? So yeah. $400 for um, rent, 600. Yeah, exactly. A night. 
Working. Yes. And it, <laughs> yeah, I oddly <laughs> had nothing to show for it afterwards. When you give a tw- yeah. when you give a twenty one year old kid, uh, you know, a bunch of a bunch of cash, and you throw them in that environment. Oh uh, man, all my paychecks went to the bar when I was twenty one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but so I bar back there. I ended up becoming a head bar back for a little, uh, a little bit. And I mean, it was a team of you know, um, like like nine ten bar backs that that ran. So it was a little army of of back of house. Was there ever formal education, or did you learn everything through experience behind the bar? <laughs> um, I I ended up I, I worked at a bunch of different places uh, after that. Real briefly, short stints, um, and then I the the most important place that I ended up landing was at um, was at uh, a place in Wicker Park called Big Wig, um, which would become four and then evil olive uh so like oh, yeah. some of the more, more more recent people might remember it as evil olive um but it was big called big wig at the time same owners all the way through uh actually the woman who who uh started mirai sushi owned it at the huh. time and then uh the guys bought it from her and she used that money to uh expand mirai and and to what little empire that it became for a while there yeah mirai was like uh, the sushi spot yeah it was and, and like when sushi was really just starting to pop right. um but I, I barbacked at this joint, uh, and it was an awesome, like, like neighborhood, like, kind of unique, unique concept in in a way. Um, also DJ driven, like in like in with the breakdancing culture and with the hip hop culture. Um, it had a lot of uh, just a lot of cool different nights and crowds that came through. Really eclectic mix of of Chicago. Um, of people from all around Chicago. So, and, and I was like, man, you got like, guys, I want to bartend. Like, like put me in, like, you know, like, let me, let me bartend. They're like, no, you're too shy. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, and I'm, I'm super quiet. I'm pretty reserved. Uh, and, um, you know, I don't know. A lot of people think I'm a dick, but it's just, I'm, I'm just an introvert. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like quiet. You know what I mean? I don't like, I don't say a ton, uh, until I have something to say uh, or, you know, I get a, get a couple of white wine spritzers in me. Uh, <laughs> and, but, uh, yeah, I'm just introverted and, and to some extent until I'm not. Um, and I, you know, I was just, and they, I, if I, the way so many of us got, you know, got our first break, it's probably somebody didn't show up for their work job, you know, didn't show yeah. up for shift or whatever. Somebody fucking screwed the pooch. And, uh, I'm like, they're like, all right, well, you know, where everything is. I'm like, yeah, like put me in coach, you know? Uh, and, and I got my first shift and like crushed the ring and, and, you know, like, they're like, oh, wow. Like you came out of your shell. I'm like, yeah, I told you, just give me a shot. You know, but you'd, so you'd like messed around shaking and mixing drinks, obviously prior to that night. Yeah. But like you, gotta, you, knew, you were confident enough to do it. Yeah, for sure. I knew. I mean, I was shit. Most barbacks, we all know that we know the bars better than the bartenders. You yeah, know, we're the sure. we do the inventory, we set up the bars, we break them down. Yeah, um, we well, know where everything is, and we don't have the ego. The bartenders just show up, make all the cash, and then like walk off the bar, and you're like left doing all the grunt work. Um, so it's uh, what were people ordering back then? I mean, they weren't coming in asking for. Craft cocktails, Craft cocktails like did not exist. vodka soda. No, it was so there were a lot of composed drinks, um, but we were working off guns, you know, yeah. using like you know sour mix and whatnot. But there were a lot of shaken drinks. Uh, it was it was like the the martini era, mm. so you were getting a lot of that uh, was happening. You know, various things in a giant V shaped glass of, <laughs> of varying colors. So you were making it was. I mean, the drinks. If you were to taste any of them now. They would have been so sweet, tart, like, you know, 
but very crushable. I mean, you're making basically boozy Kool-Aid, um, which is what that whole era was. Uh, but people are, you know, I, I talk about it all the time. It's like, yeah, it was not cosmopolitan, but people are having a good time. And that's what it, we didn't know anything else then. So that was what was cosmopolitan yeah. at that moment. Uh, that's what people knew. So yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about spirits. I didn't know anything about liquor really. You know, I knew what we knew from behind the bar. Um, and, uh, so I bartended there for a while. I ended up managing that place because I'm like full of opinions. Uh, <laughs> and I made that stupid, you know, decision. Like, oh, wow, you have always have good ideas. Like, do you want to manage? Yeah. Oh, that seems like a, you know, <laughs> seems great. Like, oh, it's a title, right? It sounds like as a manager. That's so official. Uh, here, make less money, have more responsibility. It's incredible. Uh, so I, I did that, you know, took, took the bait on that as so many of us do as well. Um, but then I did move up the the ladder a little bit. These guys ended up opening a bunch of bars around Wicker Park and, and, uh, around the city. Uh, and I ended up becoming their operations director while I was still bartending. Um, and we opened up a bunch of party bars. Uh, we opened up one of the first hundred percent agave tequila bars in the city, uh, which was right on Milwaukee Avenue. It was called Salud which was very, yeah, very obviously. early on. Uh, it was like, you know, people knew Patron and Cuervo, and that was it at that point. Uh, like, so, you know, we, we'd had some, we had some cool stuff. Um, and then I think, like, you know, fast forward, uh, and we were, uh, I met Bridget Albert, uh, and she was doing some consulting through the, liquor distributor she worked for for one of our bars and was doing a cocktail menu and uh like like had my like aha moment when i started she's like first person i saw make like craft cocktails from scratch you know wow. simple simple classics and i was like Whoa. was she doing the classes yet she had just started were so you in the first one i was in the second class yeah wow. um so she had this academy of spirits and fine service that was like this labor of love um, for bartenders that basically every week you learned in depth about a different spirit category yeah. or style of cocktails or whatever it might be. And it was like next to free. Uh, and you, you got to taste all this great booze and be, be with a bunch of bartenders. And it, it changed my my whole trajectory. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was I was <laughs> just I was just at uh, actually just last night. I was at Violet Hour with a friend that was in from out of town. And I'm like, Chicago's family tree has two massive branches. And it was what Toby did at Violet Hour. And he gave, you know, springboard for one whole group of bartenders. And then the other big branch was Bridget. Yeah. Um, and she's this, really this unsung hero because she's so fucking humble. Yeah. Uh, and she just constantly helps other people and does not uh, market herself, I guess. But she's been, uh, you know, you, you can't you can't give her too much credit. Uh, you, you can't overstate. Uh, what she's done for Chicago's cocktail scene. And, and I mean, I, I would say 75% of us, you can trace back to Toby or to Bridget, you know? Yeah. So. I'm on the Bridget side. Yeah. yeah. Team Bridget. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, her energy and how she teaches yeah. and just her attitude is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And she's become, I mean, she's still, and she's friends with all of us still to yeah. this day, you know, no, she's, she's a dear, an incredible she's a, person. She's a dear friend. Um, so it wasn't just this, this mentor thing. Um, and it, the timing was just perfect because we accidentally were opening the drawing room, uh, in 2007 and we're like, uh, you know, my business partner, uh, I was, I was, when I say business partner loosely, I was not a primary. I still, I had that, um, you know, 
that that percentage equity deal that bartenders like to get there where it says owner on your on your business card kind of but like it actually doesn't equate to anything ever <laughs> uh, so we need we need to do a seminar at tales of the cocktail on that how not to get screwed and have a business card that is performative uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but it was aside from that you know i've uh we we we're they wanted to open a cocktail bar and we're like, we knew nothing about opening a cocktail bar. Um, and I was, I was just really getting into it at that moment and was, you know, there wasn't devouring all every, all the information I could, you know, reading all the classic books. And And when did, so when did drawing room open its doors? Oh, seven. Oh, so same year as Violet Hour. Like within a month of one another. Oh, Uh, yeah. So unbeknownst to one another, we were developing these, these, these two cocktail bars in different parts of the city while very different concepts. Yeah. Um, and, and none of us knew that there was going to be this, this kind of fucking full blown Renaissance and like cocktail thing that was going to fan out and, and still now still growing and become an entire movement. Um, we were just like, this is, this is great. Like, you know, like we, we think that there, there's legs to this here in this bar. Uh, and then it just kept going and going and going. So it was, we got in, in, and you know, as, as you did, um, on, if not the ground floor, the very early floors of it, um, which is cool. It was, yeah, good, it was I mean, really fun time to be, to be part of it, figuring it out to all of us figuring it out together, you know? Yeah. You definitely paved the way for us. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about how, uh, you know, pivotal those moments were in the development of the craft cocktail scene in Chicago. Yeah. I, there was just, I mean, I, I was like, people were so mad that we didn't carry Red Bull. Like the general guest <laughs> walking in the door just didn't, it was that, that's how young the cocktail movement was. Yeah. 2007 so, was I, I, the daily yeah, Red Bull know, and vodka. Yeah. It was, that was it. I was like, that like one of the hottest things that people drank. And they just couldn't wrap their head around how in the Gold Coast they're like, "How oh, do you not have Red Bull?" We're like, "You're like easily." Like, we're like, "Yes, we just okay. don't buy it." Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, "Let me make. I'll make you a, a French press. You want one of those?" People are bringing <laughs> flasks of Red Bull. Yeah, and it seems crazy now because it's not like as much a thing at all. Like it's totally normal to not have that mm-hmm. now. But it just that 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 recently, uh, it was you know it was so unfathomable, uh, and it's been awesome to see it. But it's you know. It was good and bad. We had to figure out so much stuff back then, you know, uh, like we just didn't, you know, we're going down to you know, Tales here, you know, in a little bit this year, 20th anniversary of Tales of the Cocktail. Um, and I think it'll be my my 15th year down or something. But like it was, you know, like 2000 people in those like yeah. early years, you oh know, where God. it started with a you know a couple dozen people. But, you know, you go you walk into I remember walking into the Monte Leone, my first Tales like whatever it was 07 or 08 whatever and you know like basically my whole bookshelf was sitting at the carousel bar having a drink you know like all the authors of all the you know robert hess and uh dale DeGroff and yeah ted high like all, yeah all these guys are just sitting at, at the bar you know and i was like wow this is pretty awesome so, yeah anyway. that's very cool i mean can you i feel like one time we had a conversation where I heard something relative to drawing room and perhaps you can clear this up for me. Oh man. Um, was there a time at which you did not have simple, but only dem or oh. only used dem and certain things like we're talking simple syrups for yeah, Tracy. Yeah. Demerara versus simple. Yeah. Demerara <laughs> syrup is made from raw unrefined sugar and uh simple's made from refined sugar. Um, so we, 
It was something yes. to do with them. Yeah, yeah. So we did all of our sugar was raw sugar to start. Um, it was still one to one simple, um, so it had color to it. So if you ordered a daiquiri and we used white rum, like you were going to have a little brown tinge to it. Yeah, our simple syrup was, but it was it was one to one still. It yeah. wasn't like it wasn't well, all ours. Rich. Yeah, we still do one to ones, but yeah, it wasn't um, all rich or anything like that. Yeah, no, I just remember being fascinated by that at the time and being like, huh guess that makes sense because like i don't know back in the day like you know when cocktails are being developed if like yeah. what was more common what were the sugar types available and yeah i mean obviously we could have used white sugar uh i don't know i probably had it in my head that that was b- b- better a better option or you know i had a, had a little more depth to it um or was a more quality option yeah i mean we did i remember my first menu there like i i, I was you know, this is pre imbibe being written or in any of these things. And I had like a copy of the 1862 Bon Vivant Companion, not not an original copy of it, but like, you, you know, you could get on, online at that point. There was tons and tons of reprints of it. Um, and like that was like how, you know, all the books hadn't been, hadn't been written yet. There was like Craft of the Cocktail and, uh, you know, Gary Reagan had written this book, but. Yeah, the joy so, of mixology. Yeah. And then, yeah, but you like use these vintage ones. So like, I remember I had like a brandy crusta on the on the menu, and we cut the lemon, whole lemon wheel every time to order, and had an entire lemon skin that went in, and we poured the cocktail through it, and we were like doing the like it was the shit we were, we squeezed every uh, juice to order for drinks for a while, and we didn't batch for years. Like there was no batching. Like that was just yeah. not a thing that people did back then. Like we made all the drinks to order, and it didn't take that long. We figured it out. We had that bar was it was like, such a small like so tiny. Small. We had five people behind that bar when we, <laughs> when we had full staff, and that, I mean shoulder to shoulder. Uh, when I'm to this day, like friends with almost all of those those bartenders. Uh, I'm not not friends with any of them, but I'm like actually in regular communication with almost all of them. Um, yeah, four bartenders in a bar back, and that's how we got the drinks out quick enough uh, back then. So it was funny. I mean, we did tableside service. We had we designed bar carts that rolled out to the tables, and we made the cocktails right in front of people. Um, we so we were doing some some fun stuff. I mean, shit. Oh seven, we had an NA menu. We had a wow. Fucking, we had a punch. Uh, you know, a punch section on the menu. We you know, uh, we had we had a sherry section on the menu. I mean, we were, you know, we were, we were, we were having fun down there. We didn't know what that, we were just, we did a little bit of everything. It was fun. It was yeah, good, it was stuff it was that you're into. So it was yeah, like a exactly. reflection of the passions. Yeah, exactly. All the stuff we like. I mean, I'm sure you do that with your menus. Yeah, it's very too. cool. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's just like to go from 07 starting this, you know, uh, significant landmark cocktail spot to, you know, then just seven years later kind of winning world class. I mean, that's, it's a, a wild, wild, like to think about in terms of how much time, like how little time that was. It was quick. Yeah. It was quick, but that was like, I mean, I think a lot of us competed in, in, in stuff often in those early days, because again, like there's, there weren't the places to learn from as much, you know, we had Bridget, but you know, she had a full-time job too, so she couldn't be there all the time. Um, uh, and, uh, there were tons of co- cocktail competitions. So I was like, oh, it was always fun doing them. Like the end of Bridget's course it's was like tough for an fun. introvert. Yeah. But it was, or like you felt comfortable in those yeah, situations. Yeah, it was. But I think a lot of bartenders are introverts. Um, and a lot of musicians and, and artists are introverts because this stage gives you, 
the permission to not be an introvert. Uh, and the bar is the stage. It's the same thing as it made, it made so much sense to me why I liked being on stage playing music. And I liked being behind the bar as a bartender because it allowed me to hold audience. I don't know, like, you know, like yeah. kind of like to, 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 it gave me that moment. Um, and then I can also disappear. And I had the, I, you have kind of, you know, like almost a, the bar is a literal fourth wall in a way, you know, you can go hide if you need to. Um, or move to the next guest or, yeah, or exactly. whatever it is. So um, I think you, I find that a lot of bartenders, you see that with, with them, you know, we're, we're quirky, we're fucking weirdos, um, you know? Yeah, I feel like I became more introverted over time. I mean, when you're forward facing, dealing with guests constantly, it's like <laughs> eventually it's just it can become exhausting and you just don't want to have to deal with uh, with people in that way. I mean, that's that's how it went for me, I guess. Um, do you get, do you ever pull, do you pull shifts anymore? I mean, it's funny. I pulled a couple shifts recently due to like people calling off for whatever reason. Um, and it's like, it's so fun to be back there, but that's, you know, I'm not, I'm not setting up. I'm not doing three to three, you know, I'm coming in at like five when we open I'm yeah. leaving at midnight. It's yeah. like a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not back to back to back to back. Exactly. It's not like yeah. what we used to do. I mean, when Scoffle opened, I did like a hundred days straight. And, yeah. so I, and I feel like I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember the first two years of Scofflaw's existence. Yep. Uh, so I, <laughs> I try to be a little bit uh, more conscious of how I spend time. Yeah. What's the format of a cocktail competition and has that changed over time? Yeah, they're all, I mean, it's really up to the, the host. So they're all a little bit different. All the stuff we do is, and so people understand because people hear, oh, like you want a cocktail competition, like if they're not in the cocktail bubble um, that we live in, uh, they think flair immediately, like flipping stuff. So none of us are flipping anything. And I'll do respect to flair bartenders. It's a it's an incredible talent. And shout out to Tobin Ellis. There you go. Exactly. There's people that can do both, you know, and it's and it's and it's awesome. So uh, it's like top chef esque you know in a lot of ways depending on depending on the competition sometimes you're just judged on liquid in the glass um and and i stopped doing those before i ever did the world-class program because i was like this is not a good assessment of someone's bartending skill just to make the same drink again and again and again um that's not bartending that's like you're judging that's a cocktail competition um not a bartending competition and, and there's a pretty distinct difference between those two things but um it is fun. Like, I mean, it pushes your creativity. It, like, it, you know, it gets, there's great networking. Like you get to meet a lot of other bartenders from all over the place. Um, and to be completely honest, like early on, um, there's some great prizes, you yeah. know, like they'll throw, like there, you might be five, five G's or, or like a trip to, I mean, I, I had, I came from very humble upbringing. So like we didn't, you know, we didn't travel anywhere. I mean, it didn't, we didn't have any cash, <laughs> so we didn't take vacations. Um, and so I never got to go a whole lot of places. I always was creative in the way I got to travel. I mean, I joined a youth group in high school just so I can go to Mexico. Um, I was like, you know, I was like, yeah, Jesus. Awesome. I'm like, we could go to like down, down to Mexico for a couple of weeks. I'm like, sweet, I'll do that. Um, and you know, did it for the experience. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. 
From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. You know, I mean, it was awesome. Like the first first national one I did, uh, you know, I got to go to Vegas and compete uh, with Hendrix and Charlotte Voice was uh, uh, judging that. And, uh, you know, so I got to meet some of the people that were the, the generation ahead of me at that time. Um, my first international, I got to go to New Zealand. I had no idea what the hell I was doing um, and was on the American team down there. And, um, you know, I had to, so and so many and it's just domino effects. So you get to go out of these places and you get to meet these people and you're visiting distilleries, your vision, visit your prize might be, you know, I got to go to Jerez and learn about Sherry. Awesome. I fell in love with Sherry and that Sherry section on my menu to this day, like, you know, love, love to enjoy Sherry. Went for, was drinking Manzanilla earlier this week at, at dinner, um, you know, down to Oaxaca or to Puerto Rico and to see Rome, like whatever it is. Yeah. We went to Scotland together. We did go to Scotland together. That was an amazing trip. Uh, yeah. So it's just a great opportunity. It is important and you, and you get, you can watch YouTube videos and everything else, but until you're there and you're sitting in a, uh, you know, a barrel warehouse and like yeah. bre- breathing it in, um, right. you know, you know, in the, in the thick of it, uh, you, you really, I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty, well, pretty, pretty cool opportunities out there. Was on the rocks before world-class. It was. I mean, you had a pretty big, uh, couple of years there. You were, yes. You're one of 11 people that remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in like 2011, there was a, a reality show done like top chef style that that Simon Ford uh now of Ford's gin then he worked for Pernod Ricard and Absolute yeah and had re- resurrected Plymouth gin uh at that point fully responsible for that um had put together this yeah bartending reality competition called On the Rocks there were a couple seasons I was on the third season it, it very, got very he he took the reins because the first season there was like uh, how many phone numbers can you get challenged? There was some like goofy shit that, that happened. <laughs> and so, yeah. So like he stepped in and he's like, if you want it, like, he's like, this is bartending about a lot more than this. And, and he got <laughs> like cocktail bartenders involved in it. And I, my, my year was nothing. There was no phone number challenge or push challenge or anything. <laughs> we all um, know you'd get a lot, but yeah, <laughs> you would actually have to remember him at that time too. There wasn't, <laughs> yeah. I, just, I don't think it, was, it might've just been the advent of smartphones. It was yeah. like flip phone at that point, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was awesome. Uh, but it was early on, like it's, it's crazy even how, um, just in the last 10 years, it was not kosher to have hard alcohol on network television yeah so you'd see beer ads but you would never see a spirit ad um and they wouldn't put them on until later at night and so that show aired after saturday night live uh and Whoa. it's it, yeah it's, it's fucking late and it's on saturday night at the time when every bartender in the country is working so no one saw it uh and it you know it was interesting so it only really helped my career in within the industry like, because the industry, you know, like I didn't get any buzz from it outside in the general. I mean, public. cash didn't hurt. The cash was awesome. Yes, there was a, a hundred thousand dollar prize, which was it was a good, it was a good week's work. All of Charles' friends the next week asking for a loan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was good. No, it was it was awesome. Um, and they, you know, they did it right. And and I think 
um, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of buzzing of, you know, that that's something like I really want to do. Uh, I love television. I think it's it's the next frontier for uh, us in our in our industry. It's something that I've wanted to do for years, um, you know, uh, and and I think we're going to see finally now 10 years after more than 10 years after that that came out. Um, I know there's some a couple of shows in the works, um, not that I'm involved with, but uh, that might help with because outside of our bubble like we still have yeah, not hit don't. the level that chefs have you know yeah. if you ask stop somebody on on the street we walk outside right now and you say name three chefs even if they're not foodies they're going to be able to they'll pull somebody out who, yeah. whomever it is like uh, even if it's it doesn't matter. Like if, even yeah. if it's an Anthony Bourdain, it doesn't matter. Like yeah. even if the, the, you know somebody that just even Guy Fieri cook. named three times. Yeah, I mean, even if they know Guy Fieri, it's someone yeah. tangent to yeah to that. food. But if you ask them name any bartender, no fucking clue. They'll be like Tom Cruise from fucking cocktail, like, <laughs> you know. And nor should they. Like why would they know? Because we have not had we've not had that that exposure. So I think that that is. Um, yeah, I mean, you've oh, done a lot future, but. of kind of tv show type stuff i mean done rachel ray steve harvey what's yeah. what's kind of yeah what are some funny stories like <laughs> from yeah, doing those the oscars <laughs> yeah the oscars yeah 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 it's been good we've done the, the oscars and the emmys the last several years and there's always tons of tons of media stuff with that who's the most prepared best host oh man um Rachel's definitely a pro and she's she's cool to work with. I I really want to work with Martha Stewart though. Like I'm like that's like my secret like hope. I'm like I would love to cuz she likes cocktails. You see her, man. I watched a show she did over uh over the pandemic and she's making margaritas and she is like half in the bag and doing <laughs> and then filming her show and like and fuck does she need to she was at home. Like yeah. she was at her house like you know, like having margaritas and walking around like her property and talking like, yeah, have a couple of afternoon cocktails. Yeah. And fucking world's on fire, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but I was like, she's good. I'm like, and she's friends with fucking Snoop. Yeah. Like, I, right. like, you know, Martha, since you listen to our podcast religiously, right. uh, take note. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It will be, uh, I'll just give Snoop a call and he'll, he'll get me in, but yeah, he'll make it happen. Um, but I, I get to bartend a Snoop show down at tails. That was wow. awesome. Like one year when we had, we had, had him play. What did he drink? Uh, we brought him drinks backstage, um, but he was not like popping up to the bar. He got yeah. out and got out. I mean, it was a juiced party. It was, you couldn't, he would have gotten mobbed if he would have come onto the actual, yeah. actual floor. But I mean, it was like a small warehouse in New Orleans and just bartend, you know, whatever it was, 600, 700 bartenders jammed in there. Um, uh, Steve Harvey was hilarious though, too. Uh, he, that show is whatever it is, an hour long or whatnot. The recording goes all day long. Cause he just shoots the shit with everybody wow. and he, and he goes way off script and, and <laughs> like almost everything, like, you know, half what he says is not safe for uh, network television. <laughs> heavy editing. Um, yeah. Super. Not safe. Yeah. Not safe, but yeah, not, not safe for work. I guess. Yeah. So it is heavily edited. Um, but it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like Do most, you ever get starstruck? I've only been. Or have it, you been? Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, I've been caught off guard. Uh, you know, like we uh, last, not even last Oscar or, or a couple ago. Um, you know, I was at the bar and just we were still getting set up. The doors, 
I'd apparently just opened and I didn't realize I'm like, was, you know, bending out doing something like popped up from the bar and Quentin Tarantino's like nose to nose with me at the bar. And I, so he caught me off guard a little bit. I was like, Oh shit. You know, he's like so, so recognizable, obviously. Um, did you overserve Will Smith this year? <laughs> we, and he, so we do the uh, the governor's ball, which is the party directly after the award ceremony. So I had no no hand in that whatsoever. <laughs> um, that party was was so much fun this year, though. Uh, despite that, um, you know, black eye on it. Back to uh, to Tarantino. Was he there trying to get a drink, or he's just trying oh, to yeah. watch what you were doing? No, no, he came up to get a drink. What yeah. did he? What yeah, did he get? It's great. I mean, so I would have been five dollar uh, milkshake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so we were doing tequila cocktails. Don Julio was the sponsor uh, the last several years. So I was I, I designed cocktails uh, with with the sponsor spirit, which in that case would have been um, Don Julio. But it's cool now because we run that. Like we, we have the best bar at the Oscars, like to be not to be, you know, like yeah. patting ourselves on the back, but yeah, we've got a killer yeah. crew like my like myself and with the liquid productions crew, which is a uh company that, that runs events and competitions or whatever, anything, you know, education and all sorts of things. Uh Andy Seymour, um yeah, he's part of the bar five day program, which is he's um, got a, a hilarious Instagram handle. Which is oh Jesus yeah I think it was just, I think he just he hasn't updated it and like Instagram came on you know uh, but um, it's a liquid pimp for, yes uh, who doesn't know it is it is it is liquid pimp uh, I feel like it, like it's it's funny I feel like that it's like had to be you know when you give yourself a handle on yeah. something you don't realize that you know years later you're like oh, I wish I would have picked a different Gmail address yeah you know right. yeah, Tim's big baller sixty nine it comes up in almost every episode. <laughs> <laughs> is that really your Instagram? <laughs> no, no. That would be incredible. It's uh, Danny's own inside joke with himself. That would have been amazing, though. Uh, I mean, it was you, taken. You, get, you, do, like, you can imagine like you're 17 or something, and you pick your IG handle, yeah. and you're like, shit, now this is, I've built my whole network on this. For sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, so people over the years have gotten to know that our bar is tucked away there in, the, in this party, and they come and, and do seek us out. Um, because they know they're going to get the good shit there. You are know? you, so you design the drinks. Are you collaborating with Andy and the team or each person's kind of taking on one drink? Uh, I, I usually design a suite of cocktails and then, um, we get together and do all of the batching together. Uh, do you tweak and, them like kind of last, does you get tweaks from anyone else or edits or at uh, this point? only because of the batching we do. So, um, like you know, for ratio's Andy, sake? Andy and his team does the the logistics and orders everything in. So, you know, I know I can make one cocktail taste good and that's great, but then we got to make 8,000 cocktails. So yeah. when we batch those up and then we all kind of, we're all, you know, tasting and, and, and tweaking and making sure that the, the big batch tastes, um, correct. Um, yeah. So it's fun. It's, it's good. I mean, we, we do our own stunts, man. There, that stuff looks good on, uh, on social media, but we are in the fucking trenches and where there are days and there's three or four of us that are, you know, it's fucking backbreaking labor to, um, you know, to batch out eight, 10, 12,000 cocktails and cut all those garnishes. And, you know, you wanted, it's, uh, it's the behind the scenes is not, uh, is not super sexy. Uh, you know, we're, we're literally at sometimes, you know, changing into tuxes and, do uh, they parking dress garages. you or are you like, 
No, I, I, uh, you know, I got, I, I got my big boy pants and pull them up and down on my own. <laughs> no, but like, is no, there? I don't know if there's like clothing no, sponsors no, no, that I, want I, like I the bartenders to all wear a certain. No, so they did that one. Like the, my very first time, I was suckered in. They're like, oh yeah, like we're gonna like we got tux for you. Like we're, I'm like, and I'm thinking like, oh, we're gonna get like dressed like like yeah. you're saying. You know what I mean? I was like, I guess the Oscars, and it was the equivalent of. Uh, a, a bad like junior prom Oof, uh, yeah. room with like a thousand tuxes and i'm like you guys are out of your fucking mind so like i went out then bought got myself a, nice a proper tux, tux yeah. and like i i look forward it's fun to dress it up and and you know when we so we all all put that together and, and try to you know it's like men's fashion is it's it's you could do whatever the hell you want really but i guess the standard men's fashion is pretty narrow especially when it comes to formal wear um Tim, so, can you verify that for us? It's true. Uh, <laughs> most of menswear is like stemmed from military garments, but also like so we were kind of building stock, which we started as a menswear company, kind of as this cocktail renaissance was coming along. And I feel like there's some sort of intersection there with like like a hail to handcrafted things mm-hmm. and slowing things down, and like bourbon was really big and like Americana, and that was like a, a very much a movement in the menswear scene. Yeah, like people wanted like like salvage denim and uh, all these kind of throwbacks. And I feel like that kind of was the same era. We, I mean, it was an attention to detail and everything. And it was Mm -hmm. what a welcome in, in all things like, and we, it could happen in food and beverage, right? We're super easy to trace from, from wine to craft beer to spirits and cocktails, but you're absolutely right. Clothing, everything, you know, people started to, that generation started to pay attention to, a little bit more where things came from, who was making it, what mm-hmm. was the provenance the of things. Yeah, there's a story. They want to know, like, w- w- there's some soul to it. Um, actually, it was a super weird partnership. The first, one of the first people to reach out right after I won world class was a, uh, a, a men's clothier here in, in Chicago. They're no longer in business, but they reached out to me and I was like, I don't know what I was doing. You know, they're like, hey, we would love you to like represent us. We're going to like style you out and, and like, and like they had beautiful shoes and like clothes that I would never buy for myself and like gave me a bunch of like awesome stuff and dressed me, you know. And so I like for a couple of years there, I was, I was doing well. You can see those, those clothes no longer fit uh, <laughs> and I'll have holes in them now based on what I'm wearing. We're all in jeans and t shirts. <laughs> we did the same thing with Paul McGee when yeah. uh, we did like a bartender vest that we designed for him back yeah. in, back in the vagrant days with Mike. Yeah, there was that was an era. The vests. There's a lot of yeah, vests collecting dust a, back in the uh, back yeah. from back in the day from Actually, the 2000s. Yeah, Paul lent me a vest that's still in my closet. It Amazing. was like for one event that I that I did with Amazing. Paul, I guess, and I needed to wear a vest, but I didn't have any. <laughs> oh my god, I've not dusted one off in a long time. <laughs> yeah. There was a time and place for it, you know. Uh, but I think we. I'm, I'm glad that we've moved past yeah. the vest era. It was it was needed to happen when it did uh, to to make a designation. Um, that this was a different, you know, when you walked into a bar, you knew what you were walking into just because mm-hmm. it was so new at the time. But uh, I'm very happy to, uh, you know, bartends and, and jeans and a T-shirt. Oh, if I'm doing, Depending on where I'm at, of course, not not at the awards. Not yeah. a jeans and a T-shirt spot, but I did want to talk about your time at Aviary. Yeah. Um, so so you were a part of the opening? Is I was the right? second, uh, the second beverage director at Aviary, so I didn't do the opening. And that was... I. Like I had worked for the crew that that where I opened the drawing room with and and Big Wiggy will Olive and Salute and all that. I'd been with those guys for like nine years, um, so it was a long run that uh, I had had with them. And I was ready to 
leave and do something else. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to open my own place or, um, or, or I needed to, I, I had hit the ceiling. I had no more growth to be had. Um, and out of the blue, I got an email from, uh, chef Ack, it's the owner of, of Alinea and owner of, of aviary. Um, and I was like, well, why is this, you know, it's like straight, he had come in and, and a bunch of times and had been a, a guest at, at drawing room, but, uh, they had already been open for a couple of years. So, okay. uh, and their beverage director was moving on and they needed somebody new. And I was like, well, this is like a world I know nothing about. This is completely different than my style of bartending. Uh, you know, I had a lot to learn from them. They, I think they had a lot to learn from the style of bar, like for some kind of rough and tumble, like <laughs> being in the trenches style of bartending. Um, because, you know, although I had a cocktail bar at that point, like all the years prior to that were high volume, were, were, like hospitality bars they were just party bars um neighborhood bars uh, and they was all about people having a good time so um it's much you can teach people how to make cocktails but it's much harder to teach them you know i guess how to make those environments and so we were we had a lot to, to offer one another uh, and my cocktails were were simple straightforward um yeah, i guess did you get into kind of the performativity like a lot of the drinks for those who don't know um, aviary is a linear groups, high end cocktail bar. It's very, it's like interactive, very, um, creative. You wouldn't call them platings. What would you call that? Yeah. Presentation. Pre- yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. And, and it's, you know, they do, they push the envelope there and it's just, they, you know, question everything in terms of what a cocktail can be and what the cocktail service can be and the style what the bar setup can be what a pork rind can be that's exactly yes yeah. they make I, a, I have the cookbook and it's like i'm like i'll just make some of these at home i've got a portal and it's like okay you need uh 133 grams of freeze-dried mulberries like, oh, okay <laughs> 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 you have to like call uncle bezos and get those delivered to you probably. but um it's you know it there is room in the world for a handful of places to operate in that way. And they operate, you know, so creatively and, and push the bounds and, and not everything works and that's cool, but you need to, you need to have, you need to have the like cojones to, to take those risks and, or else you won't ever innovate. And you see so many techniques and presentations that were innovated at that bar that then trickle down into, into kind of mass culture uh, and are used more widely, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's a service piece or whether it's a type of ice that they innovated or or whatnot. So, um, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's just a you know, cocktail bar, good place to go have a cocktail and, and a bite, and you have the office downstairs. Um, but they're they're pushing the the envelope in that, which is which is cool, and it's it's special. I'm glad that we we have them in Chicago, um, and uh, I like I said, I learned a ton there. Um, it is, you know, it's not the core of the way I bartend, uh, you know, those techniques. Um, but it's, I think they're important to know as part of being, if you're going to be a a well-rounded bartender, you want a little bit of all that. It's just, it's pulling in tech, a lot of kitchen technique is what it is. Yeah. Um, which is key. I think every bartender, even on the most basic making, you know, making an infused syrup is like the most basic kitchen technique that you could do perhaps. Um, so it's, we, I think we have so much to, and we've seen it like, you know, early on, um, we learned from chefs because there weren't that many other bartenders to learn from doing it. So, uh, it makes, it makes good sense. But. 
And did you leave uh, Aviary in the office to do Craft House? No, I Craft House Cocktails was already in the works before I, I took the job at Aviary. And it was like part of my my interviewing was like, hey, like I'm, I'm working on this product and we're going to you know launch this bottle cocktail company. And we started working on the bottle cocktails in 2011. Uh, we launched them in 2013. And which was like super early in the bottle cocktail world. And, yeah. and we knew and it was, but it was never the intent that that would pull me away from aviary. It was going to be a project that, that my partners were, were what were handling the majority of. Um, but that then compounded with a one world class and the opportunities that came with that. It was, it's almost like winning like Miss Universe, you get your year, your, your year tour to like go yeah. around and, and do things. And, and so I was getting these offers to go do guest bartending and seminars and all this stuff in countries all over the world. And I was like, I can't, I can't not take the opportunity. Yeah. And so I talked to those guys in there. I'm like, I'm like, they're like, Oh, like we can't, like we it would be foolish for you to not, not, you know, take advantage of this right now. It's a once in a lifetime shot. And you know, over the the next couple of those years, went to like you know thirty between thirty and forty countries. Um, Any standouts? I mean, yeah, it's, Any I love love to travel. I was I was on the road constantly at that time. Um, just, uh, I mean, I I, I love to, to to get and 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 you know get behind the bar with 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 bartenders and, and see what they're doing in different places culturally. Um, you know, Lebanon, Israel. Uh, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, um, down there in particular, uh, Thailand was great. I love, love Latin America. Um, you know, it, I always love to go down to Mexico, uh, even though, you know, it's, it's, it's nearby. It's always something about the, the Spanish speaking countries always appeal to me. They just, uh, the, the hospitality and the vibe and, and so many of those places has a, uh, just this through note that, that is really welcoming and sincere. Uh, Cuba, um, been a, been a couple times. Uh, it's tremendous. Um, have you encountered any spirits that haven't caught on in the States now? I feel like, I guess what, what's, what's most popular now? I feel like agave spirits have kind of peaked right now. Yeah. Tequila's on fire. Obviously it just, I think it just actually surpassed, um, American whiskey and sales yeah. in the United States. Uh, vodka still the number one seller. Um, uh, but um, yeah, there. I mean, every every place has their regional produce, whatever it might be, uh, whatever grows in excess. They people make booze out of. That's what humans do, you know. Um, so there's like all these, you know. There's some there's some interesting subcategories in the agave that we don't see a ton of up here, like ricea and um, sotals and things that you just see see a hint of. But um, you know, different cane distillates uh, around the world, down into into Southeast Asia, you see that a lot, and then into Asia, you know, uh, baijiu is you know, the most consumed spirit. That's like just basically unknown outside of the bartender's world here in the United States. People like you ask somebody in a cocktail bar, they've heard of it, but again, you stop somebody on the street, they've not they've not heard of it, even though it's it's consumed you know more more than vodka globally. Um, so you get into China and things like that, but what's a good, uh, if, for someone looking to start making cocktails at home, what's like four or five spirits they've, they've got to have. Yeah. Um, you know, you start with your base spirit, whatever it is that you like to drink, you start with that. Don't go buy a bunch of esoteric stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, uh, you, you want, you know, if you're a vodka drinker, get a, get a vodka, you know, get a simple, a simple, clean, don't break the bank vodka. You don't need to, you know, go nuts with it. Get a classic London dry style gin. You know, you can, you want to grab a bottle of Tanqueray. Awesome. You want to go local, then, you know, grab like a bottle of CH or, um, you know, any of the other great local distilleries that we have here. Scoff Lodge. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's go. not a London dry though, but. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> I know, sorry. This episode is brought to you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, you need you need your handful of your your base spirits, your gin, rum, tequila, American whiskey, um, you know, and and then I think as you start to learn cocktails, then you can add in your your liqueurs and things. Mm-hmm. Be like, all right, I'm gonna make this classic cocktail. So maybe you get a that's when you get a little half bottle of chartreuse if you can find it. Or yeah. you get a, you know, as you move on and then you kind of build it slowly. Um, one bottle of bitters, get a bottle of Angostura. That's yeah. all, you, all you need to start. And then you're going to get a bottle of orange bitters second. Um, and then maybe a bottle of Peixo after that. But Yeah. I think your method of building around cocktails and things that you like is uh, resonates with me. I think the first stuff I ever bought was because I wanted to make a 20th century. And I was like, this drink sounds insane. Uh, so, you know, it's like you got the ingredients for that and then like, cool, what's the next cocktail I want to learn how to make? And then you kind of get the ingredients yeah. for that. And then it kind of like fills itself out yeah. kind of organically rather than you forcing, uh, yeah. you know, yourself to make cocktails that you can only make with, because you only have X bottles. Right. Yeah. Like you're not going to buy a bottle of creme de violette until you make your first aviation. Right? Yeah. Like it's not. <laughs> yeah. Or you don't like that flavor and you should never buy, you know, like, right. yeah. But I think it's, that's a great thing that, you know, go to go to cock to your fucking neighborhood cocktail bar and try stuff there too before yeah. you know like before you buy an expensive bottle of spirit go buy a neat pour of it at your favorite cocktail bar um and then figure out which one you want i mean I, you know on, on a not busy night like i'm not going to piss off all my cocktail bartenders um <laughs> if you're trying to figure out what gin to do like buy for your home bar you could probably go in and they'll get a little lineup of three or four of them and they'll do a little set you up on a little tasting of neat pours, yeah, um, or whatever, so you can you can figure out what you, what you want to do and not not have buyers buyers remorse for sure with gin and one that tastes like freeze dried mulberries <laughs> instead of juniper, which I'm sure there is one out there that, that, that has that profile. Maybe you could sub it in to make those pork rinds. Good. That chicharron's legit. I don't even eat the meats, man. But like that, it's like a three foot tall chicharron that they they used to do. Oh right. Do they not do it anymore? I don't know. I think they do. I don't know. I didn't see anybody eating it last time I was there. I was there not too long ago. (laughs) But um, it is. It was epic. If it's no longer a thing. Yeah, the bites there are legit. Don't sleep on the food when you go when you go to Aviary for sure. The food's there, and don't sleep on the beer selection too. Like they've got like a sick beer selection and a really great spirit selection behind the scenes. This podcast is brought to you by Geneva. Danny, what is Geneva? Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. Geneva is a European spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality. It always uses malt spirit and juniper and other botanicals, so sub would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's the Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. All right, cool. Should we go into the uh, gratuity round? Holy shit! When is this is uh, we dubbed it the gratuity round. It's just some 
questions to end on some quick ones um are you ready i i'm i'm ready (laughs) (laughs) i'm ready all right what's your death row meal my death row meal uh would i would uh i want um sushi and i want it from uh uh, the little Japanese place that is out of business. <laughs> the sushi chef and his wife retired uh, up north, and, and the name is escaping. Oh, the one on, um, not on Peter. Is it on on Peterson? Yeah, way uh, up Yeah, north. way like near uh, Wolfie's. Um, oh my God, what is the name of it? She, uh, she sent me home uh, with a shiso plant. We became like pals. Oh my God, know, it's, yeah. a, it's the guy's name. I know exactly. Um, Katsu? Yeah, let me, I think it is Katsu. Um, Anyways, so like death row meal would have to be just simple, classically prepared Japanese sushi, like clean. Oh, man, they were so great. When did they close? I never made it up. They closed in 2017. Yeah, it was. And he retired. And it's pretty epic. Like I Japan is also one of the most amazing places that I visited. And it, I mean, had sushi, you know, off of the the trading market yeah and, and this was as close as you got to being in tokyo um so it's just beautiful I, and, and just like him working with his wife his wife ran the floor there's something um just romantic about that to me like that this couple like had this this thing that they did together and and, and did it so well yeah. uh, so i would i would go back in time before i was executed for my crimes which <laughs> yeah, i most certainly right. which i most certainly did not commit uh <laughs> and i would have uh one more dinner uh, there and with copious amounts of sake i love a sake buzz is mm. it a happy buzz now warm or cold on the sake i'm always cold yes yeah, I, I don't ever drink warm sake yeah. um and it, i yeah, i don't know it's just not i don't know I like, I'm all over the board with sake. I, I like like many many styles. Um, I just think I get it's a really chatty buzz for me. I get really really happy and super chatty on it. It's like it's a feel good for me. All right. Uh, favorite thing to cook? Do you cook? Uh, I do cook uh, when, especially when I have somebody to cook for. Um, pretty I eat pretty clean and simply at home. Um, I'm pescatarian, so. Um, I, I, I eat like, you know, I like to get, again, I'm, I'm doing fish again, I guess, but, um, I just get like really good cut of fish and, um, keep it, keep it clean. I think you can do a lot with, with few ingredients. Um, and you don't need to go, need to go too nuts, but, uh, once in a while, like make a pizza in the oven, like do like a little, do it up from, you know, do it up. That's always kind of fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like to experiment with stuff. Yeah, I'll, cool. pull, I'll pull Take out care. the. I like to. I get to I like to get the grill going, um, but uh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Favorite restaurant? Oh man, you can't do that. It's hard. <laughs> you can't do that. It could uh, be anywhere. Yeah, I think everybody's listed at least five. Yeah, uh, I mean it's so tough. I think we live in one of the such a. You know, people understand that food is great in Chicago, but I still think it's underrated, like uh, beyond beyond our our city limit. Um, there's just so much good stuff yeah, out there. It's a big man. part of Chicago's identity. Yeah, I mean, like such great taquerias, such great, you know, on, on the simple street food side of things. Like, um, but I mean, for like a, a, you know, we we've got we've got Alinea and Oriole here. So if you want to go on that that kind of meal, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I was just at Oriole not too long ago. I mean, fuck, 
fucking mind blowing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been everybody's favorite restaurant, <laughs> but it's also been, wild how many people have just been there. Yeah, <laughs> right. I got. I well, then they just, they just remodeled it, right? I don't yeah, know. I was actually there this week for they do uh, Oriole nightcap. So when they they have their last seating at like whatever time, and so they don't use the bar anymore because the bar is part of the service for. They bring everybody up to the bar for one of the rounds and then seat them. So then the bar's just kind of sitting there. They're like, hey, let's open it up. So you can just pop by like after late night huh. and have a drink at, at Oriole's bar. And they make, um, and even though, again, like it's not my, my the food that I eat all the time uh, or very rarely eat meat. Uh, they have a badass ham sandwich with this like Spanish ham on hmm. like the best bread um, with mustard and, and, and cookies. Like so you can get cookies, a ham sandwich, and like a uh, expertly crafted cocktail in at Oriole late night, which is pretty dope. Uh, so they probably biting the scofflaw midnight cookie run. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty good fucking cookie. I mean, I went, I, I actually, I actually, did, actually had the the scofflaw cookie not too long ago. Wow, it's uh, impressive. Um, it was yeah, we we were in there for the long haul. We made it, we made it till cookie time. I love it. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> After cookie eating that giant, which is time. actually yeah, giant, still incredible. like one of like I'd say you know for I I think they're they're executing amazingly. Yeah, I was um, texting with Jason yesterday. Yeah, so good. Yeah. So good. And they've been around for a hot minute. And it's always impressive to me when places places do that. Um, the original Avec, um, yep. which has been there forever. Mm -hmm. Every time I go in, it's like it's like they've been open for three months, mm -hmm. like in terms of how attentive they are, uh, yeah. how, how tight the service, how tight the food is. Um, it's incredible. I just I've got so much respect if you can run for 20 years and still be not be tired out and still, you know, uh, yeah. or whatever it's however many years it's been. Yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, I don't know. We do so much, so much food here. So those are great. So answers. well, yeah. Duck in, I think, is a sleeper on the yeah. south side. Anyways, I know. Yeah, exactly. I love it. All right, next one's a two-parter. This is gonna be tough for you. Favorite cocktail bar, favorite dive. Oh man, my favorite cocktail bar is Scoff Law. No, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it um, it's whew, yeah. Cocktail bar is tough. I would say. Uh, I guess at the moment. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I would say. Um, uh, why is it just escaping me? Uh, in in Miami, um, Julio Cabrera's. Uh, broken. Not broken. No, no, so. no. It's Cuban bar. Oh my God. Oh, um, I guess bartender in there. I, I was there the opening night <laughs> that it opened up. Why am I totally blanking right now? Um, uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Cafe La Trova. Yeah, Cafe La Trova. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> um, I, I just had a total. I didn't. I didn't. I chose the wrong Lacroix. Apparently, <laughs> my, my my brain froze. Uh, you got the mulberry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> De dehydrated mulberry from. Oh man. Uh, but Cafe La Trova, I think, is is tremendous. It's a, it's very. Um, you know he's he's from Cuba and it, and it's a classic Cuban styled cocktail bar uh, and they have music every night and I think that that's uh, it's so fun. There's I mean there's so many man like all over the world. It's yeah. so yeah. That was a cocktail bar is a tough. I think more local dive bar would be a great answer. <sighs> yeah, I well, I almost wore my Archie shirt today. Oh nice. Oh, so I do love spot. Archie's Iowa Tap. 
Um, I've never been to Archie's and there not be a dog sitting at the bar. Yeah, which is a good sign of a good yeah. bar. Um, <laughs> and it's like third generation now, owners. Um, and the mom and granddaughter uh, are, are running it. And it's just good. Like any place where there's a wall of suitcases of hams. Uh, you're probably in a fucking two gallons of cheese puffs behind the bar at all times uh, is is good. Um, you know, I don't go very often, but I love the chip in uh, is a great mm-hmm. is a great little tucked away spot. I mean, Chicago is just like has so many amazing dive bars. Yeah. And also like we had a bar up in Milwaukee for I uh, lived up there for a couple of years. Milwaukee also is rife with amazing dive yeah. bars we did a trip so up there last winter ones. it was a lot of good stuff yeah. burn hearts is a fun one yeah um so many that like milwaukee's a land that time forgot i'm actually i'm going up this weekend so i'm gonna have to figure out what's what, what's what's the what and and see what's going on up there but, yeah. yeah all right last one something that bartenders do that annoys you oh uh <laughs> Oh man! Don't say start podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easygoing. Uh, I would say, if anything, um, I don't know, like performative shit, like that, where people don't, I don't know, like doing, doing techniques that they've seen on like Instagram or YouTube and they like learn the how, but they don't know why they're doing it. And so they just doing like this fluffy shit that like doesn't make the cocktail any better. Um, or, uh, you know, it's just for show and, and, and doesn't, doesn't actually add anything to it. And I, and I think visual can, you know, does add to a cocktail, but, um, I guess abused techniques, um, where people who are like chasing trends, uh, who feel a need to chase trends too much is a little bit. It's like, just do what you like. Make cocktails that you enjoy. Um, make those really well. And then explore and get creative with all the other stuff. But I guess, like, boy, learn your bait. Walk before you run. That, yeah. would, be the, that would be the short short answer to that. And walk, learn how to walk with fucking swagger. <laughs> like, really <laughs> learn how to walk before you start, before you start running. Like, really, like, be patient. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something and everything's moving so quick right now, especially with the shortage of staff. People are being forced into positions that they might not quite be ready for, which is good. And, and it, it will have some people learn and adapt. Uh, but to take the time to learn. It doesn't happen overnight. Well, kind of a follow up to that uh, last question. If someone's trying, well, it doesn't really matter. What's your favorite cocktail book? Oh, man. Uh, so it's not really, I guess, a, a cocktail book cocktail book but imbibe like is probably and i know it's like you know like, you know not the the newest thing out but I, I i just think it is such a cool deep dive and breaks down it breaks down like the very first cocktail book in a way uh you know which is cool so if you're like if you're a cocktail if you're like a cocktail and spirits nerd then you need to know the bon vivant's companion which is as far as we know the first cocktail book printed in, in 1862 and then imbibe basically dissects that and goes through tons of the recipes and the history of of the author and everything and so it's wonderfully nerdy and historical um wonderfully wonderich it is wonderfully wonderich that's yes that's that's there's a song that his theme song that you that's his podcast that he's <laughs> yeah, gonna start actually, yeah. yeah you start working on the jingle for that yeah um 
Well, great, man. Thank you so much for uh, for giving us your time. Thank you. Thanks for sweating it out in the sound booth here with me. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Crank yeah. on the air now. <laughs> yeah, time to crank this air straight up. All right. Well, sweet, man. All right, fellas. Have a good day. All right. You too. And that concludes our conversation with Charles Jolie, world-famous bartender. Tune in next week for an all-new episode. 